Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast. Today's topic, 10 things you should know about collaborative practice and family law. Thank you for joining us today. Our guest is dad to a famous video gamer, recent grandfather, and starred in Osgood Hall's mock trial, Jason Eisenberg. Thank you. Jason, three quick questions before uh, we get started. Uh, I guess it's going to be a walk in the park comp- considering your theatrical uh, career in mock trial. Well, I hope so. And uh, what's your granddaughter's name? It is Ren. Congratulations to Thank the you. new addition of the family. And what video game did your uh, son win the contest for? It was uh, a game called Super Smash Brothers. It's on Nintendo, and it's uh, the newest version of it that came out. Uh, it's got all different names. I think it's called Super Smash Brothers like 4 or something. Well, congratulations. Has he taught you how to play yet? Oh, yeah, and he's been beating me at that game since he was uh, six years old. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm definitely uh, not as good as him. Great stuff. Okay, let's make a start. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about are key elements uh, to collaborative practice. And um, what I think people need to know about this is that everyone participates voluntarily um, with the idea that you're not going to go to court. Um, but if someone decides to go to court, what everyone needs to understand is that the participants, the lawyers, um, other professionals you may use, like social workers or accountants, um, everyone has to withdraw from the process um, once there's a decision to go to court. Now, I mean, you can still start with new lawyers. It's not like you can't use these people anymore. But the idea is that whoever you're using in the collaborative process is gone. And we get some kickback from clients when we talk about this element of collaborative practice. They say, well, I don't want to use you as my, lose you as my lawyer uh, if we have to go to court. What do you tell them when you get a question like that? Well, I think that there's some ways to uh, mitigate that. You say, look, you know, that, that can be a way of bringing people back to the table to talk. Like, uh, you know, there's too much at stake to be lost here. Um, and that, you know, we go to court, um, that there's an extra cost to it. We don't want people, you know, hold them hostage and make them have to participate in the process for that reason too. But, you know, that is a way of making people realize that maybe this process is the best way to do things. And I don't want to just walk away from something that was actually good um, and that was helpful. And you get a commitment from everybody at the table to try to find a solution. Yeah, there's a lot of players there. So it's not just one person. I mean, one person can withdraw, but my point is is that you have, um, you know, a lot at stake. Um, everyone's there to say, look, we're making progress. We're doing well. Don't leave something good. Great stuff. Number two, the difference between collaborative practice and mediation. Mediation usually involves an impartial third party who insists with negotiations to try to settle your case. Mediators do not usually give legal advice or advocate for either side. Participants may consult with lawyers during mediation. If they reach an agreement, usually the mediator would prepare the agreement for review by the party's lawyers. Collaborative practice, on the other hand, includes lawyers throughout the negotiation, and they keep settlement as their top priority. Lawyers have special training to proceed collaboratively, and they're required to follow certain rules and principles. They're trying to ensure a balanced process that's positive and productive. Both collaborative practice and mediation rely on voluntary free exchange of information and a commitment to try to respect everybody's same shared goals. So when you've done this mediation collaborative, do you find that the clients are satisfied with both processes or, or more satisfied with one or the other? Right. 
Sometimes the mediation involves further steps uh, because they'll attend with the mediator without their lawyers. They'll get the draft agreement and they need to review it with their lawyers and sometimes there's changes. Uh, oftentimes, depending on who your mediator is, they may not be legally trained. And so there's legal issues that the lawyer will need to flag and flush out before any final agreement is reached. So the third element we'd like to discuss is a collaborative team. When I say team, it means that you know you have yourselves, uh, the, you know, the two parties, and you have your lawyers, but you can also bring in other people. Um, you know, it recognizes that sometimes th these uh, uh, solutions require uh, um, more than just the lawyers and yourselves. And we can bring in other professionals, such as, let's say, accountants, social workers, and everyone forms a team. We all meet together. We all work on the file together. Um, and if you're going to include those people, then you know that helps them focus on what their strengths are um, and helps you focus on what your strengths are instead of just trying to find uh, one solution that fits all. And sometimes Jason will get clients who will say, well, I don't want to pay for all these people to be in the room. It's going to be too expensive. What do you tell clients when they're concerned about the expense of the team? Well, most of these professionals, um, you know, if you're paying them for lawyer anyways, that's, that doesn't change. But most of these additional professionals, you split the cost. And um, it's a fraction of what you're paying your lawyer. So if you're going to split the cost, it's not very expensive. And you might find that having these people able to find solutions to your problems um, ends up keeping the cost of everything uh, lower. Um, let them specialize and work on what they're good at um, and let you and your lawyer work on what you're good at. And that's a great point. So for example, a traditional negotiation, one lawyer would prepare a document brief with financial information. The second lawyer would prepare a second document brief. Then the lawyers would probably complain about information that's missing. By using a financial neutral, you get one brief prepared for the full team. Exactly. So I mean, you might even have reduced cost uh, um, uh, at every stage um, if you're uh, working with the right people and, and open-minded about what you're supposed to be doing. And I've worked with teams that engage a family neutral right from the start. And at our first meeting, they'll come to a meeting with a parenting plan. And I, I assume that saves time and expense for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, the amount of time you could be spending talking about those things with your lawyer, um, you know, and then your other person speaking to their lawyer is going to be much larger than the two of you meeting with someone, splitting the cost of, of that and uh, focusing more on uh, solutions than uh, your lawyers talking about um, what we disagree on. And um, that's one other aspect of, of the, the process we'll talk about today. That's great tips, Jason. Thank you. So the fourth point I think we should talk about is how collaborative is a different approach. So in a regular divorce case, parties often rely on the court system and judges to resolve their disputes. Uh, they become adversaries and the court becomes a battleground. This often results in conflict and an immense emotional toll on everyone involved uh, and indirectly the children. By contrast, collaborative practice is by definition a non-adversarial approach. Uh, lawyers pledge in writing not to go to court, they negotiate in good faith, and work together to achieve a mutual settlement outside of the court system. Uh, and it's designed to ease the emotional strains of a breakup and foster the well-being of the children. So do you find that this different approach ends up having different results that you might have gotten if you had not taken this approach? Right. I find that clients are more satisfied when they're able to resolve their disputes collaboratively. Um, oftentimes, families who do not use collaborative practice and go to court, 
uh, will go see a judge. They'll be put on a list. They may need to wait three or four hours. They'll see a judge who will provide some recommendation in 20 or 30 minutes or maybe an hour. And then they leave without an agreement and they have to come back three or four months. So it's like they go to court for lunch and they leave on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. Where collaboratively, um, we can use the resources in our time much more effectively. So uh, you're getting people who um, are getting a result that they uh, um, have some participation in too, as opposed to just uh, something being handed to them. Or being imposed on them. Yes, yes, definitely. So tip number five is reducing hostility in family disputes and separation. You know, it's a stressful time for people. Um, we forget that you know, when we uh, uh, are no longer with someone that at one point we love them and uh, all we want to think about is what we dislike about them. So one of the guiding principles, or the, the guiding principle, I should say, of collaborative practice is respect. And you need to make sure that you can show compassion, understanding, and cooperation. Um, those are the uh, hallmarks of this process. Um, the professionals involved, the lawyers, the social workers, the financial people, we all get training in non-confrontational negotiation. So that means, you know, keeping discussion in a way that we're focusing more on agreement, what we agree upon, as opposed to what we disagree upon, um, which is what you're going to get in other processes like court. So when you talk about respect, um, I know sometimes there's communication guidelines uh, that are introduced to the families. Can you talk a little bit about the purpose of that? Well, I think it's making sure that dialogue is not uh, in, a, you know, in a hateful way. Um, you know, one, people, one way people describe collaborative process is that it keeps the family together, um, where court might divide the family or wreck the family. And, uh, um, you know, one thing is communication. Whether you're going to communicate within the process in a, in a, in a uh, respectful manner or not, um, that carries over to after. Because once all these professionals are gone, and you're still dealing with your uh, former partner and you're trying to arrange uh, holidays and arrange uh, uh, emergencies, uh, discuss those things. Uh, you know, good communication uh, is key. If you don't have it right now, you're not going to have it later when no one's around to help anymore. I think the sixth point we, we need to talk about is sort of the nuts and bolts of collaborative practice. You know, how does it work? What are the, what are the basic elements? Uh, well, first of all, people, uh, the parents are required to hire their own lawyer. Everyone agrees in writing, which is the collaborative practice agreement, that they're not going to go to court. And they meet privately, uh, usually in a boardroom or uh, a neutral location, one of the lawyer's offices. We engage additional experts and outside professionals, and you've talked about that a little bit. Uh, We agree to produce an honest exchange of information and not take advantage of each other's mistakes. Uh, So if uh, the lawyer on the other side of of a collaborative case makes an error, I have a duty to correct them or her. And I would expect that they would do the same for me and that's actually part of the collaborative practice agreement. And we focus on mutual problem solving to finalize our agreement. Have you ever had a situation where you've had to catch a lawyer in a mistake and tell them, oh, by the way, and how do they react to it? Well, they're thankful. And uh, you know, we're dealing oftentimes with very complicated uh, financial matters, then that family property statements and financial statements could be very complicated. So for example, we may list the pension value uh, on the statement, but we may sometimes overlook the notional taxes that are associated with that. Um, And that's just a function of um, looking at uh, the document, make sure we've crossed all of the uh, T's and dotted the I's. Uh, 
and it's mutual. So at the end of the day, you've got a product that is based on accurate information and people aren't trying to take advantage of each other's mistakes. So I guess uh, having those two sets of eyes looking at everything and not trying to only look out for their own client's interests can be uh, um, one of the uh, good things that comes out of collaborative. Right. The collaborative team is a magical place. Uh, And if you have a financial neutral and a family neutral, your client's there and two lawyers, and we're collectively working on a document, perhaps a separation agreement, the collective wisdom of that team is really quite astonishing in terms of um, picking out things you may have not have thought about or things that are important in terms of legacy planning or estate planning. Uh, so it's a really great way to produce uh, a final agreement. And make sure every base is covered. Exactly. Number seven, the pace of CP is something we're often asked about. Um, will this be quick? Will this be slow? What happens with it? And you know, the answer that I give my clients is every family is different. Um, and uh, that means that every collaborative practice case is going to be different. And, um, but, you know, you have to appreciate that if you go to court, court can be a slow process. It involves multiple court dates. It involves waiting for those court dates. It involves people doing things only when they're told to do them. Not being willing participants, being dragged along, kicking and screaming sometimes. Collaborative is completely different. Collaborative says, look, let's be more direct. Let's cut to the chase. We're going to share things. One of the hallmarks of a family file is making sure that there's full disclosure and that you have all the information you need and that you are able to communicate with each other about you know, what, what's important here. And that's what collaborative focuses on. Um, there, there's, there's not this game playing. There's not this waiting. There's not um, a judge saying, um, here's what I think you should do, and maybe we agree upon it. Uh, it brings people together and really just cuts to the chase. And sometimes you hear the saying that the team can only move as fast as its slowest member. Yes. Uh, not everybody is at the same stage of separation. Somebody is going to take some time emotionally to get to the stage where they can agree to a settlement or even process a settlement. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes you will have one person that's saying, look, uh, I need to think about this, I need to assess, I need to digest this. And, you know, um, that can happen in any process. But in the collaborative, there's a way of bringing people back and saying, okay, we had a chance to digest and talk and let's move forward. Right. And that brings us to our eighth point, a focus on the future. Um, one of the real strengths of collaborative practice is it's, um, it's both an ending and a beginning. So we can try to anticipate people's needs moving forward make sure the children are a top priority, do it in a respectful, dignified process, get the parents and the family ready for the next stage of their lives. Uh, And we see this especially with a lot of small businesses where there's legacy planning and we want to keep the business going. And we come up with creative ways to do that so the divorce or the separation doesn't destroy the business, which is really the golden goose. And oftentimes, is an income earner for the family and multiple people in the family. It could be splitting income. Children can be employed in the business. Uh, So it really enables the professionals to help the family look towards the future to fashion an agreement that's going to be right for their family. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think that there's too much focus sometimes on what is going to happen uh, now um, and what is going to happen. How do we get through this? Um, You know, sometimes you got to think a little further ahead. And, um, you know, uh, collaborative gives you the ability to discuss those things. I mean, 
I guess any process does, but collaborative gives you definitely a positive way to discuss it and, and say it might, I might be mindful of what's going on right now, but I have to have an eye to the future. This brings us to the ninth tip. As far as how collaborative works, um, how it differs from, you know, a more adversarial approach <clears throat> when you're in court or you're negotiating, um, I think that's important to, to talk about today because, you know, what we talk about with collaborative is that it's based on people's interests and not their positions. And so what's the difference there? An interest is saying, you know, this is something that I would like. A position is saying, this is what's something I want. So I think you're looking at interest-based discussion and bargaining, trying to say, how can we work this out so that everyone wins, everyone benefits? Um, you know, let's talk about what I want versus what you want, and let's come up with the most favorable settlement, where, you know, position-based says, I got my position as long as I get my position. I don't care what your other, what your position is. I don't care what your interests are. So that adversarial aspect means you're coming out with a possible resolution where someone's very happy, someone's unhappy, and guess what happens next? You're back in court again. But if you look at it more of an interest-based and you say, look, let's find a settlement that works for everyone, including the children too, you get a more favorable, favorable result in that situation. And sometimes in meetings, um, clients or parents will say, I only want what's fair. Yes, and do that a lot. And, uh, you know, what may be fair to the husband uh, may not seem fair to the wife or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So with collaborative, what we try to do is uh, find solutions that are acceptable and that everybody can live with and that meets their goals and interests. So it's sort of a little different, a slightly different spin on this concept of fairness, uh, because that's kind of subjective. What's fair to one person may not be fair to someone else. I agree, and I, and I think that sometimes people uh, um, get lost in that idea that it's all about, uh, you know, uh, just getting what you want. But um, you have to look through other people's, but the person's eyes sometimes, and try to remind them of that. They think, oh. Do you represent me or do you represent my ex? Because right. you keep talking about my ex all the time. I say that I'm, you know, thinking about the other person does help you sometimes get your things done. For tip number 10, we'll provide you with some resources for further information about the collaborative process. How do you get further information about the collaborative practice? Like if this sounds good to you, if this is something you want to do, how do you start this? Well, one place to get further information is by contacting a lawyer. Um, you know, getting a consultation, speaking about, you know, does this work for me? What, what, what can information they add? And talking about more specific things to what your case is about than what we've talked about today in a general sense. And there's other professionals you can talk to. We talked about social workers, we talked about financial planners like accountants, people with the business acumen. You can speak to them as well. Um, if they've been trained in collaborative practice, they're going to have, uh, you know, uh, an ability to get you in the right direction and what you should be doing. Great tips. And there's some organizations you can search online. There's the IACP, which is the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. They have a lot of videos and educational materials on their site. There's the OCLF, which is the Ontario Collaborative Law Federation. Uh, same as the IACP, but it's an Ontario umbrella organization. They're going to be changing their name in the next few months. It's going to be called the Ontario Association of Collaborative Professionals. Uh, so you would search OACP. In addition, there's usually local collaborative practice groups, often in your community. Uh, for example, in southern Ontario, we have a Toronto 
group, a York Region group, a Durham group, a Kawartha group, um, and those local practice groups, you can find them at the OCLF main website. So Jason, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great information and great tips. I want to thank everybody for listening. We hope you found this podcast informative and helpful.